Good evening again. Okay, so I'm a high school teacher by day, right? So you're gonna excuse me for what I'm about to do, right? Okay, so Jake, Jake, okay, if you would summarize one word, what Jake taught on Sunday, what would that one word be? Fellowship. Fellowship. You get an A. <laughs> Gold star. So as, as Jake was t teaching that, I'm like going, fellowship, fellowship. Okay, do you realize fellowship is like two or more people in the same boat, right? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shrink the size of the boat now. Can I get everybody to move up in the front three rows? I mean it. This is what, this is what a teacher does. It makes you feel uncomfortable, right? I know. Come on up in the front three rows. Because we're going to do something afterwards that involves fellowship. And I need you guys in the, at least the front three rows. I know, I know. It's uncomfortable. I know. Come on. I always sit in the back. Right? I have this seat reserved. It was kind of, if you think it's uncomfortable, when we first, when we first had the barn over there, everybody from Anacortes sat on one side and everybody from Oak Harbor sat on the other side. And so Sandra and I used to like just kind of shake it up a little bit. We'd go sit on the Anacortes side. And they were like, are you from Anacortes? Why, no, we're not. Does that make you uncomfortable? So anyways, no, we're going to be praying for one another. That's why I want you guys up in the front if we can. I know. If you want to sit in the back, go ahead. I'm also the, I'm in my classroom, I'm the king of awkward silence. <laughs> Ask your grandkids. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, we're going to be talking about timing, the Lord's timing. And, you, and if, you, if you were here earlier, you caught what I said about, um, you know, setting your watch and syncing up your watch. Um, and those that were in the military have done that. Um, but the Lord's timing um, has gotten out of sync at some point or is waiting on the Lord for the Lord to, you know, come through. And he always does. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So, um, and it's been a while. So I figure I should kind of fill in some of the gaps from, from last time. Because it's been, I don't know how long it's been. It's been, what, three, four months or so? Okay. Um, so, so some of the characters, we got a king. It's, we're talking about Persia. You have to understand Persia uh, owns a bunch of property at this time. They own from all the way up into Turkey. If you're looking at, let's see, I'll look at it like you would. Okay, so all the way up into Turkey, um, they own down to Egypt, all the way out to Afghanistan, and um, almost probably into Russia. They own just tons of real estate. And so um, even counting Israel. So Persia owns it all. They own a big, huge piece of real estate. It's probably Xerxes. Um, there's a gentleman by the, the, the name of Haman. I, I sometimes go, hey, man. Yeah. He's Mr. Magnificence, and he's also what I would call an influencer. And if you're kind of like me in the older crowd and you have no idea what an influencer is, there are people today whose specific job is to go on social media and get you to like something. You really would like these shirts. You look like you went to Hawaii, even if you didn't, right? Yeah. So um, that's Mr. Magnificence. He kind of reminds me, too, of um, Wormtongue. And I think I, I referred to him earlier as this. And hopefully you know what Lord of the Rings is. Uh, hey, man, does to him. Um, there's also in place an irrevocable date. It's coming. It's coming in from this time frame here. It's 11 months in the future. It's an irrevocable date. The, the king has signed it. The king cannot unsign it. All the Jews are going to be attacked in 11 months. Thank you, Haman, Mr. Magnificent, right? 
So that's irrevocable. Does that sound familiar? There's an irrevocable you know, timestamp that we all have to appear before? We do. Hopefully we have an, uh, an intermediary. Um, the other thing too is uh, Mordecai, Mr. Crisis guy, he's like, ah, you know, we gotta go fix this, we gotta go fix this. And Esther talks him into waiting three days. And I think that's where I left you. We talked about fasting. What's kind of funny is the shepherds, we keep bumping into fasting, you know? I like my food though. Yeah. Um, and, and, and here's the very last thing that I gotta catch you up with. The king has put out a big, huge do not disturb sign. So anybody disturbs the king at this point, prior to this chapter, um, if the king doesn't honor them or doesn't welcome them in, it's a death penalty. So it's been three days of fasting. To appear before the king and not be allowed in is a death sentence. And so that's where we, we're going to pick up tonight. You ready? All right. Here we go. Verse 1. Esther, um, we're going to cover two chapters tonight, Esther 5, Esther 6. Um, verse 1. It says, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across... I think that's the best day for deliverance, right? So she's on the third day. She's taking, uh, or she's standing in front of the king, and I want you to take notes on Esther. Esther's doing four things right, and this is four things that we could learn from Esther. Um, the first thing is she's spiritually prepared, okay, because she spent three days fasting, and, 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 I, and, and although it doesn't say praying, we would assume praying. She spent three days. So first off, she's spiritually prepared. Um, Philippians uh, 4 helps us in that. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I'm going I'm to read that one again, a little bit slower, and emphasize one little section, if you would. So don't, I mean, in Philippians um, uh, 4, 6 and 7, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, we're going to come back to requests, making your requests known to God. Um, because it's kind of interesting, you know, we, um, you know, making your requests known to God. Okay, so sometimes we kind of, well, I, I don't, maybe we don't, maybe just me. Um, you, you, we kind of get, we forget how much God loves us and how personal he wants to be with us. And we're going to see a little picture here in a, while, in a, in a second here of a husband, what I think is a husband and wife. Uh, in a um, tender moment. And it's kind of interesting. We sometimes forget. Um, the second thing is she's spiritually attired. Okay. She's, did you see she's got her royal robes on? She's a queen. Okay. So Ephesians 6, um, 14 through 17 says, Stand therefore girded. Um, this is how we get spiritually attired. Having your, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. By the way, do we own any of these things? Do we own the truth? Do we own righteousness? Well, I mean, yeah, we get them from the Lord, right? They're not, anyways. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the Lord. So, so be um, spiritually attired. That's a, the, the second thing. Um, and then um, we, we had a, a, a saying in the Navy, it's um, situational awareness. Are you aware of the threat around you? And that's the third one I have for, um, from Esther. She is situationally aware. She's aware of the threat. Um, she's in full, full, full 
view of the king, and she knows um, the penalty for, for him not welcoming her. Um, but Colossians 3.2 helps us in that area too. It says, set your minds on things above, not on, on things on the earth. Uh, and last but not least, she's aware of who she is. Um, she has her spiritual authority. Um, and I think we sometimes forget that, who we are. And that's why I was kind of leading up to that earlier about the tenderness that God has for us. First um, John, speaking of First John, you, um, you are of God, little children. As when the king saw the queen, Esther, standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand, then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Okay, this is, this is that tender moment I'm talking about. And, and, and the thing is, we talked about Esther's gift. you guys remember what Esther's gift is? She has a gift. She finds favor. Anybody who sees her, all they got to do is see her, and she finds favor. So she's, she's, she's actually, I could have probably put that in there, walking out in her gift. I, I, that would have been number five, right? Why didn't I think of that? She's walking out in her gift. And so he sees her, he's going to find He's going to find pleasure. That's Esther 2.15, if you want to find out her gift. She finds favor in all who see, see her. Now, I like this moment here, this, this touching of the scepter. I think that's kind of an... That, it's interesting that, um, you know, the, the author of the book of Esther gives us this little insight to this special moment. This is a husband and wife, but um, it's, the, the scepter is, is the symbol of the king's authority, Right? Um, but she, her touch in this, I, I think is just, it's, I don't know, maybe I, and I, I, I've done this a lot. I do this a lot with the word. I kind of read between the lines. And for her to, to touch his scepter, uh, I mean, that's such a, I don't know, that's a, I, I, I'm, not, I'm making, not making a pun here, but that's a, what do you wish? You know, what is your request? Remember I told you about requests? And so there's this moment where it's a very intimate moment. You're going to find out he actually changes the language. He says here in, in, in this verse, he says, um, what, is your, what is your wish? You're going to find out he's going to ask these same two questions uh, in, in a little bit here in verse 6. I'll talk about that. But um, uh, this, this, um, this, uh, this moment kind of reminded me, too, of, of us. And a lot of, the, a lot of the, in Esther here, in, this, in these two chapters tonight, I'm going, to do, I'm going to be jumping back and forth between us and where Esther's at, because there's a lot of harmon, harmonics between the two. And um, that picture of forgiveness kind of reminds me of what we all do. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verses 10 and 11, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's that, that, that appearing before the king. Um, that each, of, each one may receive the things done in the body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we, we are well known to God. Okay, so we all have to appear, but we're well known, uh, well known to God. So back to the two questions that the kings asks. Okay, the first thing he says is, uh, what do you wish? In other words, he's asking us, what do you desire? Um, and that, to me, is the language of a husband. And the, the second question he asked her, um, what is your request? What do you want me to do? What is your desire? What do you want me to do? He's going to ask these, like, um, this is what I desire, Lord. Um, this is what I'd like you to do. And um, this is what the king, the king asks of her. 
Um, and did you catch what the king offers her? Did you catch that? Do you understand what that means? That's an interesting offer. He offers her up to half of his kingdom. He is offering her to rule alongside him. And she turns him down. Isn't that interesting? Remember Haman? Hey, man, remember him? He was, he was given an offer, and I'll talk about that later, but he's not given this offer. He's, Esther is given an offer by the king up to 50%. You can rule and reign alongside me. It's kind of an interesting offer he gives her. Um, verse 4. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. That the king, uh, then the king said, bring Haman quickly and, and that, that uh, he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet and es that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, here's those two questions again. What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. Okay, so there's a, there's a, there's, Esther has prepared a banquet of wine. So it's kind of a happy hour kind of a, um, you know, let's keep this, you would think, let's keep this light. You know, we're just going to have a little social hour, but oh, by the way, I need Haman in here. And she's inspired to have this banquet, okay? This has been prepared. This was part of her plan, okay? And so we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to find out quickly, uh, at least I'm going to theorize. And you guys, you guys know me, you've been around me enough. I have theories, I have theories. You test them out. But this is her plan so far. Her plan is to have a banquet, have a wine, and she's going to say what she needs to say. That's her plan, I think. Anyways, um, but did you, the, the, remember I told you the word was going to change because before he asked, what was your desire? What do you want me to do for you? Now he's going to say, what is your petition? And the word there means need. He went from earlier, what is your desire? Now he's asking her, what is your need? It's a little less personal, but he still extends that same offer of 50%. You know, you can still rule rule alongside me. And Haman, this is kind of, I don't know, uh, and if you've, I don't know if you, I'm sure we've all been in circles where there are people in our workspaces that are politically motivated, where they want to be the next boss or they want to get, get up and stuff. Haman is that guy. He's that guy who's always like, a, how do I get to the top of the, the pile here? And it, what I like about the king here, the king is kind of like putting his cards on the table right then and there. Hey, um, you, uh, uh, Esther, you can have 50% if you want. Haman's you're like, wow, the best I got was something else. I didn't get 50%. I'll talk about that in a sec here. Um, yeah, no, it, it, I actually have it in my notes right here. It's, it's from uh, Esther 3.11. Esther 3.11, um, Haman was offered what the cost would have, this was to kill all the Jews. He offers to pay for it, and the king says, I'll tell you what, don't worry about the money, I'll take care of it. And, and it, it came out to roughly, there's theorizing that it would be about half of a year's, um, what, what Persia would take in in a year, about half of it. So that was all that was offered to Haman. Here, the king has offered Esther 50% um, to rule alongside her, or, or to rule half and half. Anyways, um, and the other thing, too, with Esther, and it feels like she's, she's walking out uh, the 23rd Psalm to me. Um, in, in particularly verses 4 and 5, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because keep in mind, that thing that's coming in 11 months for, is for all the Jews. That's for her too. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that's the part I want to key in. A staff for a shepherd, I don't know if you know that, but that's where they, come here, little sheep. We're going this way. Oh, no, no, let's go that way. Are you with me? They comfort me, your rod and your staff. Rod is for correction, but staff is for guidance. And a shepherd guides his sheep, okay? And she's walking, I think she's, she's walking that out tonight. Um, verse 7, then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So she just do. She just moved it a day. Why did she move it a day? She had prepared that banquet, yes? Now she has to prepare another banquet. Because the, the, the wording is slightly different. Before she says, I was prepared. She, now she's saying, I will prepare. Okay, so this is a, there's a change that just happened. And I, I, I thought initially, I, I, I was saying, okay, why did she do that? Why did she like suddenly move? You know, she's now like, okay, I'll, I'm going to tell you tomorrow. What do we, what you want to know from me? I'll tell you tomorrow. Um, and I thought initially, okay, she's just trying to, you know, the whole thing of, you know, the do not disturb sign, you know, if you, you disturb the king and he doesn't want you there that day, he's going to kill you. I thought maybe she was just like, she had two-part plan, and this part plan, part of the plan was the, the wine banquet, and the second part was the delivery. But there's this, the, the Lord kind of pulled me aside, once again, this is my theory, you can test out my theories, is I have a feeling at that point, God whispered in her ear, said, not yet, not yet. This is, the, this is the whole timing part where you are fully prepared to walk something out. You get in the middle of it and you got that little check in your heart. You got that check in your spirit and you say, where the spirit says, hmm, don't say anything. I don't need you to say anything. I need to, we, this is not the right time. And you, what do you do at that point? where you're, 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 right up, you're right up to about to do something. You really feel that the Lord has led you to do this, but it's suddenly... Um, and I was just talking to John about that. Okay, so, so when we're talking about, okay, you know, one day is, is a thousand years, right? God's clock and our clock are different. And we, we, we those people like myself, and I, I'm, I'm, this is the kind of person I am. I was telling John about this. I was like, okay, the Lord will say, Jim, we're going off that direction. Okay, roger that, and I'm, I'm walking that way, right? And then I'm like way out there by myself, and I'm like, Lord, I thought you said we're going off this direction. I did. I just didn't say go. You know, I, I'm, I'm terrible all through my life. I've, I keep missing his timing. I hear him. I know where he's taking me, but I jumped the gun. I jumped the gun. And so, um, so how do you stay in God's timing. You have to walk in the Spirit. You have to walk in the Spirit. Okay? And uh, it, Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay, so what's that look like? What does that look like? Walking in the Spirit. Um, and, the, and, and God is, one of the cool things, when he's got this Holy Spirit in us, you've, you have to, turn your volume down and hear that still small voice sometimes. You basically have to turn your ideas down and listen to his ideas. 
okay? Um, whether, whenever you turn to the left, okay? And so I think Esther's done this. I think she's done this. I think she heard a word at that point, and she says, can we do this tomorrow? Because I'm not, I, I don't have a, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reading her internal monologue right now. I'm, I'm speaking her internal monologue right now. Um, I just got to check on my spirit. I wanted to tell you something. I wanted to talk about something, but I just, I'm not supposed to do it. Can we do this tomorrow? Okay. But the cool part is, okay, she's walking in the spirit, my theory, my theory alone, but she has just interjected God's timing into this situation. She has now allowed to happen what's about, we're going to read here in a little bit. That's why, kind of, that's why this theory makes sense to me, is because by her stopping and pausing, she's allowing something to happen that's about to happen that we haven't read yet. We're going to read here in a little bit. All right? Um, verse 9. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, um, that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Okay, and so, um, kind of cool. Mordecai's back at the gates. And I don't know, did I tell you one of my theories last time? I don't know if there's there a theory that I had back then or if a new theory. Did I tell you why Mordecai was at the gates? My theory? Just go like this or this. No? Oh, <laughs> damn, that's nice. My theory is he stand and watch. Did I say that last time or not? I'll tell you more about Peter before. The king was sackcloth and ashes. And so he's at the king's gate. He's no longer in sackcloth and ashes. He's just Mordecai. Okay? He's had three days um, to, to, to settle this. Um, but he's at the gate. So here's the deal. I think he's on watch. This is where the Lord has him. Okay? And, in, okay, I said in my earlier life I, I used to wear a flight suit. Well, in my earlier life I was an enlisted guy and went through boot camp. And one of the things they teach you in boot camp, and anybody who's been to boot camp knows this, is your general orders. Anybody remember those? I see some smiles and some laughter. You have to know them because the drill instructors will come up to you, what's your second general order? And you're supposed to be able to spit it out. You know, you're all locked up and nervous and like, Bleh. I don't remember. But it was interesting as I was thinking of Mordecai standing watch at the king's gate, the Lord brought some back, some back, uh, some of my general orders back to me, and I'm like, what? From the recesses of my mind. Okay, the one, you know, and so bear with me here, because once again, if he is standing watch at the king's gate, the Lord has you standing watch someplace, and you, and you, the Lord has you, he puts you in places. And, and, and think about, I'm going to give you a couple, I'm, only, I'm not going to give you through all the general orders, but I'll give you four to think about if, that, if, you're stand, if the Lord's got you stand and watch. The first one, the first general order is to take charge of my post, okay? Um, and so the first question I was asking you is where does the king have you? Where does the Lord have you? What post? Military manner, keeping uh, always on the alert and observing everything that takes place within sight or hearing. Okay, so walk my post in a military manner. That's the second general order. And so that's the, the second question I have is who? First question was where? Second question is who? Who does the Lord have you as a watchman over? Okay? I'm going to skip down to your fifth general order. To quit my post only when properly relieved. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to persevere. Wherever the Lord has you, you're supposed to persevere there until he relieves you. Amen? 
Okay, so remember that. That's your fifth general order. In 11th general order, to be especially watchful at night and during the time for challenging, to challenge all persons on or near my post and to allow no one to pass without proper authority. And so that, I think this is, where, this is where the Lord calls us to as shepherds. And you could say, well, I'm not a shepherd. Yes, you are. If the Lord has you guarding somebody, he has you shepherding somebody. And so who, who are you prayerfully guarding? Who are you standing watch, you know, with you? And are you, have you taken that, um, that, uh, that, that watchman position over them? Have you guarded them? So that's, so he's at the, so Haman sees him at the, sees him on, on his, standing his post in a military manner and all that other stuff, right? And he's pretty upset, right? Okay, let's pick up with that verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther, invited no one to... <laughs> That's so funny. He thinks this is good. Anyways, sorry, I just caught that. It's like, he's like, besides, I got to go... Never mind. Anyways, besides, King Esther invited no one but me to come with the king to the banquet um, that she prepared. And tomorrow I am invited by her along with the king Yet all this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. You know? Okay, so he's, he, he, he quickly goes, you know, he goes from, from, from anger, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, he left in happiness, now he's angry. He went just the spectrum, just boom, boom, you know? Full angry, or full happy to full angry, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up on something you said, Jake, on Sunday. You were talking about joy. And um, you didn't know my notes back then, but uh, I'm going to talk about joy here too. Um, I looked up happy, and you guys may have heard me talk about this before, because this is something the Lord taught me a long time ago, and I, 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 it's, um, it's one of my go-tos when it comes to, when somebody's like, um, they're, they're, they can't seem to find happiness. Um, this is kind of my go-to I always share with them, is, is uh, first off, um, the, the, uh, What's talked about there, the, the word that's there, it translates in Hebrew as merry, um, and he had a glad heart, which means he was happy. So he was merry, and he, had, and he was happy. Well, there's, um, there's three words that are typically associated. Those three words seem to get wrapped around the word happy or merry. Joy, contentment, slash satisfaction, or pleasure. Okay? Well, the Lord taught me a long time ago, there's three pools. In the cascade, the upper pool is joy. Joy is from spending time with the Lord. When you spend time with the Lord, you get joy. And that is the only source of joy, is time spent with the Lord. So if your joy pool is empty, guess what you need to do? Go spend some time with the Lord. And the cool part about joy is it flows into the pool of satisfaction or contentment. And that's where, you, you, that's where you're staying, called pleasure. Now, there's not a problem with pleasure, um, but pleasure tends to be hooked to our flesh. And so you can have good pleasure, but a lot of pleasure is often associated with things we do to satisfy our flesh. And so that pool from time to time is going to be empty, and it's okay that it's empty. Um, but time to time, you know, it's going to be full. It's just, it's the way life is. You can't base your happiness on your pleasure. If you base your happiness on your pleasure, you are, you're just, you're going in the wrong direction, brother, sister. Yeah, 
So shoot for joy. That flows down into satisfaction. I'll give you a couple of verses to back that up. Um, for joy, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Amen? Okay. And the pleasure, I'll hit that one as well. Proverbs 10.23, a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. Uh, and this thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that. Okay, this is where I, I told you last time, because I'm a history teacher, and I love, you know, history fascinates me, and I, I think I told you this, how the Persians killed people, did I tell you? Bruce, <laughs> Bruce remembers. Yeah, yeah, graphic. I wasn't too graphic, I hope. But for those that missed it, um, here it is. It's a steak, big, huge steak, and they jam you, and they run the steak basically up so it comes out here, and they were pretty good at it so that you basically, you're like a screamer on a stick. Well, this, this, this is what's, what's weird here is because um, it's 50 cubits high, 75 feet high. That's way up there. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you look ahead to Esther 7, uh, it says that he built this right outside his house. And I, I, I'm sure, it's spoiler alert, you know he's going he's to be the guy on the stick, right? We're about ready to jump into 6, but we just, we just, we're ending five, chapter 5 with anger and, um, and plans for murder. Ready for chapter 6? But Esther introduced the Lord's timing. So, here we go. Chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring him the book of the records of, of the Chronicles. This reminds me of my kids, my AP kids, if they can't sleep, they, they open up their book and they go to sleep. Anyways, um, and, they were, were read, and they were read before the king, and it was found written that Mordecai had told of uh, Bethana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Um, then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Okay, so the king can't sleep. Okay, now what's the cause of, for insomnia? Hmm? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Lord, I believe the Lord has taken his rest away from him. Okay, the Lord has given, you know, he, you know, you could say, oh, it's curiosity. You know, I'm, I don't know if you're like that too. I, when I was a kid, I used to go shake all my Christmas presents until I figured out what was in them, you know? Um, and because I hated surprises, you know? He, he, I'm not still that way, am I? Good. I've grown up. Yeah. And so um, maybe he doesn't like surprises. And, and, and Esther has just said, you got to wait till tomorrow. And maybe that's bugging him. I don't think so. I think, because I don't know if you guys know this, but the Lord gives us rest at night. Um, God has taken his, taken his peace away from him, taken his rest away from him, because the Lord needs him for a night. Okay? And thank you, Esther, for walking in the Spirit, because now the Lord has time with the king. Okay? Um, so he's, re he's reading the book of Chronicles, um, and he's probably reading what Esther wrote 
The same thing is back in Esther. And so I'll read that to you. It's back in Esther 2, verses 21 through 23. This is what he was reading. Uh, in those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gates, two of the king's eunuchs, Betham and Tresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther. And Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And, and when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows. And it was written in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, if you notice there, what I just read to you from Esther doesn't say anything about Mordecai being a Jew. Nothing about Mordecai being a Jew, but it's coming. King knows Mordecai is a Jew. Now, how does the king know that Mordecai is a Jew? I told you one of my theories. This is where I got my theory from. Do you remember, do you remember who, who did the king, how would the king possibly know what was going on with the queen and Mordecai? Do you remember? Do you remember the messenger? There was a messenger running back and forth. He was the king's eunuch, the king's person. It was the king's guy. The king had appointed him to watch over Esther. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's not a permanent job. She's got her own eunuchs running around. Um, but so I, my theory is, as a Jew, somehow the king knows this. And my theory goes back to the, that eunuch told him. Um, his name was Hatach. Um, uh, yeah, and, and where that is, it's Esther, Esther 4, verse 5. Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her. Anyways, so he's, he's, he's reading the Chronicles. He's, he can't sleep. He's reading the Chronicles. Okay. And then he kind of comes across this thing. There's an awareness brought to him. And he's like, has anybody ever taken care of Mordecai for doing what he did? No, nothing's happened to him. Hmm, okay. So the Lord needed him that night to, to lose his sleep so that he could now know who Mordecai was. Okay. And maybe at that point, too, once this is Jim theorizing, so you don't have to follow me down this rabbit trail. But in his theorizing, he may have talked to Hatach and said, Hatach, tell me, tell me what do you know about Mordecai? Mordecai, or Hatach would have known that Mordecai was a Jew. And so I think the king had a night where he's pondered, and, um, and, and thank you, Esther, for walking in the spirit. Verse 4. So the king said, who is, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is here, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and, and uh, the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Okay. And I think the king is honestly looking for advice here. Back and forth between their story and our story. So what does the, how did the king, do you know that God delights on us? How does he honor us? Do you know he sings over us? Wouldn't that be so cool to hear? You know, there's, um, I used to have a friend of mine. Uh, and we would, we would we, John Dental, you probably know John. Um, John Dental and I would, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if we could do this? What if we could do that? You know, we, we would challenge the Lord. You know, we would challenge the Lord like, um, hey, I wonder what it's like to, uh, to you know, to, to, to prophesy in tongues and then to interpret tongues. And so we'd both try it. And it would happen. It was kind of cool. The Lord was really patient with us because we were a couple of knuckleheads. Um, but, you know, it's like, what would that sound like if we could hear the Lord singing over us? Wouldn't that be cool? I bet you there wouldn't be a dry eye in this room. I bet you we'd all be crying like babies. Yeah. And that verse is, because okay, I'm, I'm just going back to, the king's asking, what, how, do, how do I honor somebody? You know, what would you do to honor somebody? And, and so this is what the, um, um, that 
that you delight to honor. And that verse um, about the, the God singing over us is Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God in your uh, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with his singing. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. I long to hear that. I long to hear that. Psalm 149.4 says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Anyways. Verse 12. I got to take a drink on that one. Verse 12. Afterward, afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. Back on watch. I like that. Oh, did I skip a bunch? I did. Sorry about that. Yeah, I flipped the page one too many times. Let's make sure I didn't go too far here. Mm, yep, I did. I went too far. Okay, so now Haman thought in his heart, whom, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe brought with which... Okay, let me back that up. Verse 8. Let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. Then let, the, let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, um, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Okay? So, so Haman uh, wrongfully assumes this is about him, and so he paints this really interesting picture. A royal robe, a royal horse, a royal escort, and a royal proclamation. Does that, for any of you guys, does that paint a picture? Do you like, okay, when I talked about that, okay, I'm going to do it one more time here. A, a robe, a horse, and, okay, person, somebody who the, the Lord... Church coming back? Yeah. Check it out. I'm like, I'm talking, like, the, whom the Lord delights over. I wonder if that's when we'll hear it singing over us. No. No, because he's going to have a sword. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I'm still looking forward to that. If anybody knows that, like, when does the Lord sing over us? Is he singing over us right now? How do we hear that? Okay, I'm, uh, this is just me thinking out loud. Sorry. I'll get back to what we're talking about here. Revelation 19, 14 through 16 says, In the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, there's your robes, check, white and clean, followed him, hmm, okay, that royal escort, on white horses, check, yeah. Now out of his mouth, this is the proclamation, um, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads in the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So those whom the Lord delights are going to get all those things. We are going to get all those things that Haman is talking about. I like the way that mirrors up nicely, isn't it? Okay, verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the... <laughs> this guy's a knucklehead. Because he just doesn't see it coming. And then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the rope and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew. See? The king knows he's a Jew. The king knows that one of... God's people has saved him. Amen. Anyways, uh, Mordecai the Jew who sits in the king's gate, um, which is interesting here too. The king even knows where Mordecai's on watch at. 
He's at the king's gate. Isn't that kind of cool? Anyways, the king knows where he's put us on watch. Anyways, leave nothing undone of, uh, of all you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the, the king delights. Okay? And so we'll just keep on going. Verse 12 here. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered, um, when Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and his friends, everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, if Mordecai, um, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. Okay, so, so first off, I like I like that I like that Mordecai's back on watch. That's he's like he just had a parade. And he's like whatever, I'm going back to where the Lord wants me to be. Um, and so Haman Haman he's come home twice now. He's brought his work home two days in a row, um, and it's not gone well. And I didn't mean mention this. Did we did we have we mentioned before what his wife's name mean, means? Suresh. Them they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So Haman knew that he was a Jew. Um, and, and she says um, she, that you, you will surely fall before him. And there's a part of me that thinks um, that Zeresh is prophesying, or she's aware of what the Lord has said. Um, First Samuel, and we talked about this way, way, way back in, in, when I was teaching on First Esther. Um, 1 Samuel 15, verses 2 and 3, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek, uh, with whom, for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Um, and so there's, there, there is that, that prophecies out there to, to kill uh, the Amalekite. We're, we're going to close with this, but we, the, the, I, don't want to, I don't want to walk away from this. And this is what the, the, I kind of felt the Lord saying was that um, his timing. And that's why I want us all kind of, if we, what we're going to do is we're going, to, we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to close tonight with a little time of prayer. Because I want to review with you some, so the way the, um, the Lord's timing was, was going on. Um, with Esther, she had to wait on the Lord for three days. And this is the previous chapter, but still, she had to wait on the Lord for three days, okay? Um, and oh, by the way, really, four days. You know, so when it came to waiting on the Lord or, you know, man your battle stations, that guy had to wait three days and actually four as well. Um, but I think it, it, was, it was three days allowed. Those three days of waiting for Mordecai, I honestly think calmed his spirit. Those were three days where he went from crisis to peace, I think, because he's back. For um, Xerxes, um, it was an evening. The Lord le needed less time with him. He only needed an evening. But it was, it was time that he had to have where the Lord could stop him, pause him, and point him to what he needed him to see. Okay? And then um, last but not least, as far as timing, is Haman. Um, Haman... Haman's time to, re his, 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 his days, 
His opportunity to repent is drawing near. Um, but his timeline, evil's timeline, will always submit to God's timeline. Mm -hmm.